0: there's a quote i learned from my father wherever you are be there and you got to put the time and the effort in and not in quality time ladies and gentlemen hi everybody good evening are you ready keep this frequency clear i know you're gonna dig this oh uh, yeah okay here we go check, check it out
1: Hi, this is George Free. Welcome to another Martial Arts Media Business Podcast, episode number 33. Another awesome interview for you today with Kiyoshi Dave Kovar from Kovar Systems and Kovar's Satori Academies. And how this interview came about, now you're probably familiar with Dave Kovar, as as most people in the martial arts business industry is familiar with uh, Kiyoshi Dave Kovar, but how this interview actually came about was having a chat with Matt Ball from episode number 28 and in that interview Matt Ball was sharing how Dave Kavar helped him release some stuff within him that was holding him back and that led to this conversation. So if you listen to that episode, this is a great follow-up on that Um, as Dave was actually just visiting Matt Ball as well as Matt Wickham and probably a bunch of other school owners in Melbourne. And this episode came about, We I missed him when he was in Melbourne, but we managed to catch up just after he left back to the United States. So this is a jam-packed interview with great value. Uh, I was uh, really blown away by the, by the information that Dave shared. And at this point in time, Dave and his organization catered to 3,000 students. They are running at 96% retention rate, with 150 new students every month. So there's a lot of core components that came together in this interview. So you really, really going to get a lot of value out of it. And there's one thing that really stood out for me as, you know, as we help martial arts business owners with their digital marketing and systems, and we are putting together a, a systematic structure, a course that, that can help martial arts school owners take their marketing into their own hands. And with that, I really picked up something very unique that Dave was doing. Maybe it's just because I was paying attention to it, but I want to know from you if you pick that up as well. And I'll Reveal what that is at the end of the episode. And I also just want to thank Gordon Story, who mentioned to me on our Facebook page that you weren't able to access the episodes past 10 episodes. So if you're a new listener and you haven't listened to all the back episodes, there's a ton of great, 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 great content there for you. You can now go through, well, obviously you can access it on the website, martialartsmedia.com. But if you are listening through the podcast app or the Android app, Stitcher Radio, any of these devices that you get, apps that you get on your mobile phone that you can use to listen to podcasts, then you can now backtrack and access all those back episodes. I think the last 30 episodes you can access. All right, so show notes and all links, everything mentioned in this episode is, of course, on martialartsmedia.com forward slash 33, the number 33. And that's it for me from now. Please welcome to the show, Kiyoshi Dave Kovar. Good day, everyone. Today I have with me the founder of Kovar Systems, Kiyoshi Dave Kovar. How are you doing this morning? To this afternoon, I'm doing right?
0: great. <laughs> no, it's, it's afternoon for me. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: All right, awesome. And today, we, this, there's obviously many directions we can take this conversation, but we're gonna be discussing. Things that a lot of your, your clients have brought up with uh, achieving breakthroughs within their schools and so forth. But we'll get to that in the call. So, welcome, Dave.
0: Well, happy to be here and, and hope, hopefully I can use some value.
1: Awesome. So, I've, just to take things back right to the beginning, who is Dave Kovar?
0: I'm still trying to figure that one out, you know? <laughs> uh, I, I, so, uh, I, I'm just, I'm a guy that's been doing martial arts a really long time. So, uh, uh, I, I started in, uh, I always wanted to do, I'm, I'm 50, almost 58. So in the, in the mid sixties, I'm five or six years old. I saw a silhouette of a guy doing a flying sidekick on a billboard somewhere. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And it took several years beyond that before my folks would, you know, kind of have anything to do with it. So I, I started wrestling in, in in year seven, in like 71, I started karate in 73, and I kind of fell into a school and in November of 1978, I took over a, a, like a commercial location, and it had almost no students, and I was six months out of high school, and this is all I've ever done, so this is my, I'm actually in my 39th March of running a martial arts school, and so along the way, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out, I by no means have all the answers, but I, I seem to make a lot less mistakes than I did a decade ago and certainly a lot less mistakes than I did 25 years ago. Uh, so I spend a lot of our time now uh, coaching other schools. I, I have a chain of schools in, in Northern California uh, that my company owns. We have eight locations, and we average uh, 327 members per location, so they're good-sized schools. Obviously, some are bigger, some are smaller. I have five licensed schools, and then I coach uh, uh about 150 schools uh, through our our core systems through Promac uh, throughout the world. Got probably about a dozen schools in Australia and probably about the same number in the in the UK and a few in Germany. But most of them are in the United States.
1: All right, fantastic. Now, th- that's I mean you've you've achieved so much in the martial arts industry. What was, what is it like? You know, going back. How did, you, how did you start the whole teaching journey and how did it evolve from training, and I know you also competed as well. So how did you take that stepping stone back in the early days of getting into owning your own school?
0: Yeah, well, you know it was like back uh, you know back then, I'm sure you know you've heard it's nothing any of the- listeners here have heard you do what for a living you teach martial arts for a living but that's in in, 19, in 2017 in, in 1979 or 1978, it was friggin unheard of right I mean you just did there was a few schools but but so uh, I, I actually talked to my parents they loaned me the money to take over the school and I and I was going I just started at university and, and uh, I promised them if they you know if, if they helped me with this I would you know get my education Anyway, long story short I we had no clue but there was really very few places to go that had any clue how to run this like a business it was and uh and so it was real trial and error for for years i mean i i for a while i painted houses by day while i taught in the evenings and then uh interesting thing happened i always by the way back then in the, in uh there was no kids there's very few kids i should say you know doing martial arts like when i started uh, i was like one of six kids in the whole school under 18 right and uh, uh and then but but i kind of always enjoyed working with kids and by the, the early 80s, I, I had one of the largest student bodies of kids in, in the county, and I had a grand total of 11 junior students. The rest were adults. So there wasn't many. I, I just had one a kid's class that met Mondays and Wednesdays at 5 o'clock. That's the only time. The rest were adult groups. And then an interesting thing happened in the mid-80s. Let me see the name of that movie was again. I'm joking. It was Karate Kid. And <laughs> oof. Oof, overnight, things changed. And I literally remember, this is absolutely a true story, I would paint, by the time I was painting houses and apartments, and I would I would paint from seven to three, and I'd rush home to my, my, my duplex, and I would take a shower, and I'd race and get to the school by four and teach classes till nine, right? And I remember I would show up, this would have been like 1986 now, and there would sometimes be a line of parents holding hands with their kids waiting to enroll at our school, because there was nowhere to go, and there was a big demand. So... My my older brother Tim uh, came on as my business partner in 1987, and that's really when things took off for us. And and uh, and so in the at the time I was teaching all of the classes, and then in the early 90s my brother was doing the being the program director, and I was teaching all the classes. We had actually, and by this time I would had a few assistants, but we actually grew our one facility to this is a legitimate number 903 active members, and uh and this was uh. You know and and so my brother would like come on man we got to train some other instructors and and so he kind of we we sat down and we kind of outlined out some teaching tips and some rules that later on became you know, our first like uh in 1993 we did a, a how to teach martial arts to kids video series that that, that that did really well actually internationally and uh and that's when we kind of go okay you know we're on to something and we kind of have, have been ever since kind of fine tuning our, our business and teaching skills. And, and what, what, you know, the whole deal is, is that we actually use our schools as our, our centers of excellence, meaning the stuff that we coach other schools on is actually stuff we really do. You know what I'm saying? It's not just kind of theory and thought it's, it's, you know, tried and true. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so we've, just made it a point to a lot of uh, you know to spend time on the, the psychology and science of teaching more so than the actual curriculum we might be teaching. That's what we try to present to other people. Okay, and and can you elaborate a bit more on that? Well, yeah. Uh, so for an example, like back in the day, everybody's got back in the day stories, right? But uh, there was this whole generation. I'm sure it was the same, you know, across the industrialized world. But you know, the martial arts that came back to the states, the people that started teaching were usually former military right that were stationed in okinawa or korea or somewhere like that and so when they came back the kind of the line was very blurred this is my this is my impression this is my theory between you know boot camp military hardcore training and martial arts and so they got blended together so the the, the, the first you know couple decades in martial arts in, the, in america was very negative you know uh push-ups till you're blue in the face uh uh, kind of the teaching, you hit the guy in the back of the leg with a shinai if his knees aren't bent, you know, all those things that that uh, I, I'm not saying they're they're wrong. They might be the right thing for for some people. But but I think overall, the, those teaching methodologies are, are are kind of archaic now. And we know, like, if you look how they train dogs now, they don't use the stick as much. It's, it's reward based. And we know people know that's a better way to do it. It simply works better. Right. And so it's kind of similar in in martial arts, our training. We have all these rules. For example, uh, uh, one rule would be called public praise, private reprimand. And the concept is, is, is during class, if, if somebody, one of your students uh, does something correct. And by the way, this applies to people of all ages. Then, man, you shout it from the rooftops. You, you can let everybody know. However, if someone's screwing up or doing something incorrectly, you try not to draw attention to that. Now, what happens is most instructors figure this out eventually on their own. But it might take them 20 years right? And so that's something that new instructors understand if you teach them right out of the gate, that's just what they do. And that saves a lot of students that may have been publicly felt like they're humiliated and quit early, right? Uh, And so a concept we call three by three, which stands for every class and instructor, uh, uh, his goal with every student in class is to use their name, appropriate body contact, and eye eye contact three times during class, because that lets the student know that you knew that they were there. Now, now, most instructors, uh, good instructors, are going to eventually do this. But when you teach a rookie out of the gate, they become a re- they can become a really good instructor in a fraction of the time because they actually have methodologies and science behind what exactly to do, you know, and, and how and why you line up a class a certain way, and and how if if somebody's losing interest in training, you know, how you go about uh, you know reframing that and, and finding out what their cause is and if you can do anything about it. And 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 so there really wasn't anything like that when we were going through the ranks and, and, and so we kinda of saw a need and have been working on trying to, you know, figure out uh you know, the you know, what's the motivation to keep somebody training for not just a few weeks or a few months? You and I know that you know someone can train for two or three months in martial arts and they can benefit from it, certainly. But the real benefits for martial arts come from from the long term training, right? And so that's there's a lot of things that have to happen for a school owner that they have to do in order for someone to train with you for a decade, which is always our goal. When someone comes in, we, we, our goal, our intent is to have them train with us for a decade. Of course, they don't always do it, but, but when our intent is there and we're working with that in mind, we get them to stay a lot longer than they would have otherwise. Therefore, you know, they benefit from the martial arts training dramatically, and of course, the business model will be way more successful because our, our retention is going to be better. Our student value, et cetera, is going to improve.
1: That's excellent because it I mean it really starts with the intent you know i mean if, if you know if you know that your students only last a year or two years and you, you know you might frame things in a way that well you know that they're only going to last two years, but I, I find that fascinating because if you have the intent to keep someone for ten years, then I mean that that changes your approach. but how would it change your approach if you know you want to keep someone for that long a student how would
0: how would you treat them differently? Well, I think it's it's uh, it's this first and foremost. I used to have a school for years. I had a competition school, and I had like thirty five members. Right. By the way, this is when I had a day job because I could that's the only way I could do it. Right. And my thirty five members, they were tough. We we won a lot of first place trophies, yada yada. That was the emphasis school. By the way, there's no, absolutely nothing wrong with competition. Don't get me wrong. It's like, it was the right thing for me. And it's the right thing for a lot of people, but. I put such an emphasis on it that everybody that was just there for other reasons kind of felt like a second-class student, right? And so, uh, uh, you know, and, and so what happened is one day, just kind of. And by the way, all my guys that I thought were so tough—look at my 35 guys. Actually, every one of them was tough before I even met them. They didn't really need martial arts. What had happened is I'd scared away everybody that really needed our products mm-hmm. by going too fast, too hard, too soon, right? And and so what I what I looked at now is like. Hey, man, you know, you got someone coming in the door. The average person that comes to your school is, is, uh, is, is usually maybe doesn't have a high level of self discipline or a high level of confidence. And those that have those things, uh, you know, the, the students that we take great pride in because they're natural athletes and man, look at them. They're going to train for eight months and look how good they are. Honestly, uh, we don't have a lot to do with them. You know, they were self driven, you know. And so, the, 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 what, what I try to get across to my instructors is the real value is when you take somebody that is, uh, you know, doesn't have a high level of confidence or is incredibly uncoordinated and you're able to keep them, uh, you know, in the school long enough to develop them into warriors. And so what does that mean exactly? It's little things like setting them up for success. Like, for example, the first time someone ever does a tip test or a stripe test or a belt test, if you don't think they're ready, you should test them because the last thing you want to do is have someone that the first time they step out in front of their peers to perform, they fail you know, that's going to, that's going to kill their confidence and there's a good chance they're not coming back. So the the trick is to set them up for success by making sure that, that the first time they walk off the mat after an event like that, they are, they, 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 they were successful. And, And what that does is that that builds their confidence a bit. And so slowly over time, and then it's about making sure that you set realistic goals. Now I, in no, by no means mean you should lower your standards to black belt at all. But what could a lot of people do is maybe they, they, their first belt doesn't happen for a year and a half well that might be too long for a lot of people so could you put stripes or something between those so there's a lot more incremental goals along the way because people of all ages enjoy having a short-term goal to work towards and so that would be one of the things the next thing is is that you know most instructors what i see and i have a chance to you know travel a lot and see a lot of really high level schools and, and and it's really cool to see how far the the, the martial arts profession has come from a standpoint of Professionalism and quality of instruction, but where we tend to be weak as an industry is one on one communication with students about their progress. So that's something that we're really sticklers on. So we have, you know, all these, the systems in place. These are points of contact, contact along the way in their early training where we make sure that we sit down with, with like, okay, you know, if our, our students on a regular basis to give them feedback on what they're doing well, where they can need to improve and getting another commitment out of them. Uh, um for them to continue training and little things like this, for example, you know, as an industry, sometimes we tell people, let's say you have a parent that you want to get involved. You want their that they want their child involved in martial arts. And so, uh uh you know, they come in and the first class is really fun. And we kind of get maybe give them the impression. Oh, yeah, your kid's going to love it. It's going to be fun. They're going to love this. Well, guess what? They're not always going to love it. It's not always going to be fun. There's going to come a time when almost every kid's going to want to quit. If you know that, I know that it happens to everyone. So if you wait until the parent says, yeah, he's losing interest, he wants to quit, and then you try to tell him, oh, it's okay, man. Every kid goes through that, perseverance, yada, yada. It might be too late. However, when they're still excited about training, if you take a moment and say, uh, you know, hey, sir, I just want to let you know. I know your son's enjoying the process. I'll let you know. There's going to come a time when he doesn't want to do this, and don't worry about it. Every kid goes through it. Everybody ever got their black belt, almost every, almost took a case, had a hard time and wanted to quit sometime along the way, but just let us know. We'll work through it, no problem. And, and so now when it happens, you think I'm Nostradamus because I predicted that, right? And, 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 does that make sense? Yes, very much. And, and so now all of a sudden, by the way, I have to back it up with a great floor. I can't, you know, as Stephen Covey has a quote, he goes, you can't talk yourself out of a situation you behave yourself into. And what that means is if your program is only mediocre, there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to keep you training. So I have to assume that my classes are running stellar, you know, that my pro, my, my, Yeah, that they're, we call it the SSL rule. It's smile and sweat and learn. People are having a good time. They don't literally have to be smiling, but they're enjoying the process. They're getting work out and they're learning something new and they're getting feedback. And if you can do that, then, then it's way easier to, and you pre frame ahead of time that it's not always going to be fun, but don't worry. That's when perseverance comes Mm -hmm. into play. That's when you, you know, perseverance only happens when you want to quit something and you don't. That's when you have perseverance. And, you know, you talk to the parents about, you know, you don't want them to develop the quit muscle. What's the quit muscle? Well, that's – you let them quit whenever they feel like it because that's the muscle they're developing. You want to develop the perso- perseverance muscle, which means they have to push through low spots. And like I said, if you have preframe that talk ahead of time, then you can get a lot of people through that low low gap. And, uh, uh, and so that would be one sample of, of what I could do to – especially in the first six months of training uh, to have that conversation a couple times with – with a student, because if I can get somebody to train with us for the first six months, there's a good chance I'm going to keep them for a really long time.
1: Wow, that's, that's awesome. Okay, now, just on that topic, you, you were talking about having the, the fight gym and focusing on the fighters. How would, you, how would you create the balance in a school that has multiple avenues of serving kids and fighters and these different demographics?
0: Yeah. Well, first off, I, I think that, that I, I, I mean, we have a fight team, you know, in our schools. I've got guys that do, you know, uh, point tournaments and do it, uh, you know, extreme martial arts, you know, a, a form competition. I also have guys that, 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 uh, you know, compete in jujitsu tournaments and MMA. So we're across the board, right? Uh, but, but we don't make a big deal about it to the general student body. It's kind of like it's, 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 it's kind of a by invitation only and. And we, we don't put that, we understand that, that that's going to be the exception, that's not going to be the norm, for at least the way we do things. And so, uh, especially with you having a, a fight team, like an adult fight team, I, I've seen it kill a lot of schools, where they let those guys mix with their regular students, like in a, in a sparring environment. So, I think it's, it's really important, important to understand the difference between nature versus nu- nu- nurture, meaning... Survival of the fittest, nature. All right, new guys in here. I'm trying to fight team, get hurt. I'm no longer drink coming in versus kind of nurturing our students. And we let the, 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 the beasts, they have their own time that they do that. And you kind of look at that as kind of a hobby because honestly, I don't know. And I'm sure there's somebody out there. I don't know anybody that has like a fight team that really, that's how they, unless they have a high level sponsored fighter that really makes any money off a fight team. It's usually a distraction, right? Uh, uh, from their business, and I don't think there's any, if you want to do it, that's great, but look at it as a hobby, kind of a, a a passion, more so than a profession. Your profession, in my mind, and what I see in successful schools around the world are people that are taking the average person of average skill, of average time available, and they are doing the best they can to keep that person training and developing the benefits that, that martial arts can give them in their everyday night life, not putting their main emphasis on developing elite athletes.
1: All right, fantastic. now. I want to go back to, I had Matt Ball on from Smack in Somerville, Melbourne, and I see you just had another visit with him a couple of weeks ago. And and in our conversation, Matt mentioned, and the, his, his exact words were that you helped him overcome a few breakthroughs that were holding him back. Hang on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. Matt Ball from Smack releases some stuff within him that has been holding him back. Now, can you elaborate what, how you helped Matt overcome his obstacles?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, I, 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 first off, I have a great deal of respect for Matt Ball. Great guy. really, He really looks out for his students, and, and he does a lot for his, the martial arts community and the, and the people that are other people are running schools. He's a very giving guy. One of the things that I've shared with him is that he kind of put himself last, you know? He's like, like, a, like he he kind of... Maybe uh, there was a little guilt associated with making any money teaching martial arts, and that's what I saw. I've been over his place like three times. He had a lot of students, but you know, he, he kind of let his maybe stolen students like, bully him a little bit, meaning that they didn't have money. You know, you know, he, he wouldn't he kind of let them slide. He, and, and so what happened in his mind somewhere, it was programmed that if, you, if you're successful financially running a martial arts school, it's somehow you've sold out. And kind of what we talked about is absolutely the reverse is true. And that, by the way, I, I, I've had that mentality, uh, you know, as well, a lot of people have is that, you know, uh, the bottom line is there's I don't know of anybody that has a big successful school for an extended period of time. What I mean by that is there might be some flash in the pan. Right. But someone that has an extended period of, that has a successful school, meaning a lot of students for an extended period of time that isn't doing pretty good work because the general public is is very. Uh, they're 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 pretty savvy, and you can't. Years ago, you could pull the wool over the eyes. You could fake people out. You could get you, you know, but anymore, if you have a successful school, you kind of have to know what you're doing. You have to kind of have put student service first. But here's what Matt and I discussed, and that is, is that you really owe it to your students to be successful. Because if your school's successful, first off, you're gonna have a nicer facility, you know, brand new equipment. But also, the, uh, desperation. You know, there's three types of motivation. There's desperation. There's inspiration, and there's purpose. And we've all been motivated by desperation maybe in our business. I know I have. Like, holy moly, it's the fourth of the month. Rent was due on the first. If I don't get it to him tomorrow, I'm going to pay a fine. And, and all of a sudden, guess what happens? You, you work your butt off. You find a way. You make rent. That's it. That's desperation, right? And then the other kind of uh, uh, motivation is inspiration. That's where you went to a seminar or a class or you know, read a book, and you're really inspired to get to the next level. And, and that usually is effective, but it's temporary. Both of those are temporary. But what isn't is purpose, and that is having a real clear idea of where you want your school to be, and what, why you're there. What is your what is your reason for being in business? And when you're real clear on that, and and you, you know you, you you what what happens? Well, I want to serve my community, and I also know that if I'm if I'm desperate, I, I, I've taught when I'm desperate for business, and tell you what, people can smell it a mile away. I've had someone come to my school, and I needed them to make their monthly payment in order for me to keep the doors open, and they sense it, and it's not a good feeling. And I've also been in a situation where my school was very financially successful and I'm just a better teacher. I'm a better boss. I'm better for everyone that pressures off. And so my point with my is you really owe it to your community and your students and your school and your staff because you want to be able to pay your staff well too to, to charge a fair price and feel good about it. And, and there's, there's, we don't look at a, a, a doctor who's committed his whole life to you know, saving people through medicine, we don't look at that and then, then as they sold out because they make a good living, right? Or, or a, another business person is no difference for us. And I have often heard, uh, you know, people say, well, yeah, I do it for a hobby. I don't do it for a living. This is my hobby, you know, like, uh, like somehow you sold out at your living. But well, who would you rather go to a doctor that, 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 that practices uh, medicine twice a week in the evenings as a hobby and by day is a, you know, is a carpenter? Or would you like to go to someone that's a professional that's given their life to it? Well, you, you know, you know the answer. I look at the same thing, uh, you know, in, in martial arts. Somebody that can is a full-time professional. And there's a whole other level of service and quality that comes through. Now, by the way, if anybody's a part-time person that has a full-time job, I mean no offense by this at all, because I have a lot of friends that have a great career and they teach part-time and they do a wonderful job with passion. So that's not what I'm referring to. But I, I, I'm just saying that that being full-time and committing your life to it is not a sellout at all.
1: For well, sure. It, it's something that's come, come up a few times, almost that it, it, there's, there's this, it's noble to not be successful with your school or um, you know, there's this association with success that you don't want to be that guy, that, that guy that is high-pressure selling or um, just a slick type of salesman and, and that you're ripping people off. And I hear that come through in conversations a few times with, with people.
0: Yeah, well, you know, like I said, I, I there are some slick people. There's no doubt about it, right? Uh, most of the people in my network, you know, we, we, uh, you know, it's basics. It's brilliant in the basics. Like, you know, we don't have a high pressure cell. We People come in; they got a month to decide. We don't do upgrades. You know, everybody has basically the same program, and uh, and uh, you know, we're going to encourage them, and we're going to offer them some incentives to enroll in the first couple of weeks. You know, etc. But but the bottom line is, is that most of the time, the people that you hear. Uh, saying that are those people that have 35 people that are teaching out of the garage that are, are calling other successful schools McDojos because they say, look at that lady, man. She's 45 years old. She's a brown belt. Look, she, look how old. she's not in perfect shape. Well, that's that's because that lady is doing the best she can with what she has. It, it, does that make sense? In other words, yeah. you, can't compare, you can't compare a 23-year-old athlete with a middle-aged woman when it comes to their sparring ability, and that's what a lot of these guys will do. And what it is is because some of these guys that have that smaller school, they scare that woman away or that woman never even thought about enrolling at their place. So when you compare apples to apples, which is really what you got to do, you know. And, uh, and so uh, the whole concept that ever, we've all heard the McDojo quote, right, and, and it's rarely do I hear that from somebody that uh, runs a successful school because people that run a school that has a couple hundred students and that are in the trenches, they get – all the hard work it takes to, to, uh, to, uh, you know, gr- you know, keep those students training and, and, and not, once again, not that you're lowering your standards, but you're, you're not, but you also are taking into consideration somebody's age, physical ability, uh, a, a natural disposition towards martial arts, you know, in, in their training and, and, and you're, you're not being stupid with what you're asking beginners to do. But if, you, and, and so eventually because of that, your advanced students are going to end up being really talented that originally had no ability.
1: Excellent. Uh-huh. Now, now, another thing that Matt mentioned, he, he mentioned that he really valued your teaching and, and I can hear, you know, the, the way you speak with all the acronyms and how you've named all things, you know, all your processes and so forth, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's spot on and it's inspiring. And, and Matt was mentioning how inspiring it was to work with you, but then in the back of his mind, he was, he was a bit skeptical, you know, like, okay, does, does this, is this really going to work this way? And then when he visited your facilities, he realized that that whole message and all those values resonated throughout your entire organization. Now, do you mind just sharing, how do you get everyone to work within the same system, the same values throughout your entire organization?
0: Well, it's a, 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 when I get it figured out, I'll let you know. <laughs> Meaning we're still, we're always working on it, but no, we, we've come a long way. So, you know, right now, we've got uh, um, 115 employees that work with us at our schools, about 50 full time, the rest are part time. And so any challenge someone has with an an employee, regardless of, you know, what it might be, I promise you, you know, we've dealt with it and may be dealing with it right now, right? I mean, you you name it, we dealt with it. And and anytime you have two people or more together, there's going to be politics, right? And, and, but with that said, I'm super proud of our organization. and, And, Uh, Why we've been able to have success, I think, with our team is that a couple things. First off is we've been doing this a really long time. And so we've been able to plant seeds like the majority of my instructors. uh, You know, if you go to any one of our locations, you're going to see some 35 year old fifth degree black belt that's been training with us for 25 years. Right. Started or longer. Right. That's kind of the model. Now, there's exceptions, of course. But so what's that's allowed us to do is that is that those kids that are now out in someone's school that are 10 years old. Uh, you know, taking classes that have been with you for two years. Well, those, you know, uh, those that's our model for the future, right? And so we are. So what that means is, is they've come up in a particular system with a certain methodology and a certain belief that's just inherent in them. And 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 kind of our 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 kind of model is is that as far as uh, with our team is is we really sincerely try to go to battle for them. Uh, you know, we we try. I've never wanted to be a place that had a bunch of followers. You know what I'm saying? Some martial arts systems, there's you know the the, the, the senior guy is like, you know, nobody questions him. Uh, you know, when he comes in the room, everybody stands at attention. And by the way, if you do that in your schools, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's your culture, that's totally cool. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it, it can it's it's the right thing for some people. For me, we I wanted a bunch of people that were a part of a team that that, that were respectful, but allowed to voice their opinion and give feedback to, you know, other people. So that's kind of what we try to create. And then we do our best to, to treat them as good as we possibly can. And then we try to pay them as best we possibly can. So there's really six words that sum up my philosophy on developing your team. And the six words are hire right, train right, treat right. So you got to start with the right person. Okay. It's kind of like if you, if you, if you have a pile of poop, doesn't matter what you put on top of it, ice cream, cherries, you know, whipped cream. It's still poop, right? In other words, but, so bad analogy, I think. But the point is you got to start with the right person. But that's not enough. Uh, most people, what they do is they wait too long and they, uh, you know, for a, they need an instructor like, like yesterday. And so looking around, they're looking in their advanced class for someone that can do it. And they see three people. None of them are exactly what they wanted, but one is less bad than the other two. So they hire that person. Does that make sense? Yes. Which what what we try to do is we try to plant seeds early, early, early. If we see somebody when they're a yellow belt that we think someday could be a good martial arts instructor, we're having that talk right away. Now most of them aren't going to ev- develop, but I I call it plant seeds early and often. And when you plant ten seeds, one's going to blossom somewhere down the line, right? And the the very worst thing that happens to the other nine people is they become better students because of the conversation you had about planting that seed, right? And then we work really hard to, we have a very formal training system, knowing that for every instructor we have, there's going to be 10 people that are going to go through that training system, that the nine of them aren't going to be quite what we are looking for when we get it that far along. And so, so we're really making it a point to, you know, to develop, you know, by the way, it's a lot easier when they've grown up with particular teaching tips being practiced on them for them to do it. It's natural. What's hard is when you have someone coming from A different culture where maybe it's not as positive or encouraging or they have a different way of doing things to to kind of retrain that. But then once, so you've hired the right person, you train them right. Now the third part is you got to treat them right. You, you know, here's the deal. The reality is you could treat some people really bad. They will never leave you. And you could treat some people super good, perfect, like over the top. And then no matter what you do, they're going to leave you. But there's the majority of the people fall in the middle of that. And if you treat them right and you pay them right, and you don't give them a reason to have to leave, they will stick with you, and that's what we've tried to do.
1: That's awesome. Dave, I'm, I'm sure there's many, you're, you're definitely a wealth of knowledge, and we can talk for hours, but is there anything that, any direction that I haven't taken this conversation that I should have, that we should elaborate
0: more on? You know, you know I, I think for me, what, what has sustained me, and I, I still love this as much as I ever did, I, I don't, I, I'm, by the way, I'm not teaching, you know, 35 classes a week like I did 20 years ago, right? But as a matter of fact, when I get off the phone tonight, I'm going out to one of the schools, I'm going to teach five classes tonight, right? I don't do that very often, but I'm still in the trenches, but I still love it. But, but uh, you know, it, it's it's different for me now. But one of the things that I think is really important for, for you know, listeners out there that are maybe new to this or people who have been doing this a long time is my kind of motto is martial arts first, teaching second, business third. And what that means is, is that, man, we can't forget what we're doing and what we're about. I know when my training is going good, I'm just a better teacher, period, when I'm feeling passionate about my martial arts training. And that's half the job of being a good teacher is keeping your training up. And half the job of having a successful school is being a good teacher. So anytime you switch the order and you put business first and you know, and you switch the order, you might have short-term success and even improved success. It's going to hurt you. So that would be really an important feature here. So that would be like my probably – and then it's never easy. It, teaching martial arts is you know you get up every morning and it doesn't matter how successful you were yesterday you got to do it again today uh, some guys have a great deal of success and they put it on autopilot and they think their success is going to continue only to find out later on that you know they didn't stay hungry and all of a sudden they've lost student body and you know their momentum it's not like you have to work 12 14 hours a day but when you're at your school you, you to me there's a quote i learned from my father wherever you are be there and you got to put the time and the effort in and not in quality time and, and knowing it's always going to be, uh, it's, it's always going to be challenges, but you're willing to accept that then it just makes it easier.
1: Excellent. Dave, it's been awesome chatting to you and I'm, I'm really inspired by your philosophies and your, your acronyms and, and all these, you can all hear all the wisdom come through in, in how you've set up your systems. For anybody that wants to get in touch with you and learn more about what you, what you offer, you Where can people get hold of you?
0: Yeah, you can go to uh, um, covarsystems.com. That's K-O-V-A-R-S-Y-S-T-E-M-S. We have a bunch of uh, uh, various coaching programs. All the way down from our our initial, we have what's called the Instructor's Toolbox, which is drills and skills for the classroom, non-style specific warm-up drills and and drills for kicking and striking and grappling and age specific kids, adults, advanced beginner. It's pretty cool. It's very affordable. And then all the way up to we have, uh, you know – our, our pro mac uh what's called Promac, mac stands for professional martial arts community and that's where we basically we uh we have our resource library and a calendaring system where we give everybody that's uh, one of our clients uh pretty much full access to what we're doing it's almost like a franchise without a franchise you know all the marketing we're doing all the staff training that we're doing in our schools all the retention strategies we kind of help them set up a, a schedule so that they they know what they're supposed to do this day and, and you know and uh and how to keep stats and and the messages they're given to their junior students, etc. So it's pretty comprehensive. So yes, you can go to cobarsystems.com and and uh, and uh, you can sign up to get more more info. And and we'd we would love to to help schools uh, if they were interested. Awesome, Dave. Been great chatting to you. Maybe we're going to have to do this again sometime. No worries, man. My pleasure. It is pleasure being on the call. And, and best all, your listeners. And and uh, you guys have an incredibly great day. Awesome. Thanks, Dave.
1: And there you have it. Thank you, Kiyoshi Dave. Awesome episode. Great value. I want to go back to the beginning of the episode. If you picked up what I was referring to about how Dave expresses information and what I was talking about was systems, systems and acronyms. Everything's got a name three by three. It rhymes. It's easy to, it's easy to distinguish. It's easy to define what the system is for what process? And to me, that's got to be why it is so easy to duplicate their entire process, and everybody's on the same. Everybody has the same message and expresses the same values because everything has a process and is defined within a system. And look, maybe I'm preaching to the choir, and you, you're familiar with this, but I know that's quite a hard thing to do to really systemize your business perfectly in a way that everything's run. Re- re- Dependent on the systems and I can't remember where I read it, but it was something to the likes of There's no such thing as a bad hire only a bad system Because most people if they got the right attitude they can work within a structured system so it's a lot easier to also for morale of staff to blame a system rather than to blame staff or you know personal confidence or issues or something that makes them inadequate of achieving a certain task So focus on the systems. And that's something I've really been focusing on within our business and how we can help martial arts school owners with their digital marketing, which can be a very confusing world at times. There's a lot of diverse information of what works and what doesn't. And sometimes, you know, the information that's out there is really just based on what the person is selling. And so they exclude all the other components that are really making a business work and just focus on their component, which is their core. And look, that's what people do, of course, to to sell their their coaching programs. But sometimes it doesn't give the full spectrum of what is needed to run a successful business, whether that's in martial arts or any business. More information on that coming up. Again, the show notes on martialartsmedia.com forward slash 33. We'll be back again next week with another awesome episode. Have a great week. Chat to you then. Cheers
0: will conclude this evening's entertainment thanks for listening if you need help building your martial arts school check out martialartsmedia.com